The following sermon is from Redemption Bible Church of New Braunfels, where we are proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology, in order to fulfill the Great Commission in the spirit of the Great Commandment. Turn in your copy of God's Word to Colossians 3, verse 18. Colossians 3, verse 18. We're returning now to our study that we began many months ago uh, in Colossians. And then we took that little break there around the Easter holiday to be in uh, the book of Luke. So because it's been a few weeks and uh, we've slept a few times and things have happened in our life, I want to recap of where we've been in this. And if you're new here, here's just a flyover of Colossians. Colossians is all about the greatness of Christ. He's really incomparable. There is none like him that have ever walked the earth, that has ever been in existence. And so Colossians begins in the opening chapters with Christ as the head, the head over all creation. He is the authority over our entire universe to the enormity of space and the universe down to the most minuscule of atoms. God in Christ is sovereign over it all. But not only just in creation around us, Christ is also the head of the church. He is the supreme one. He is the authority over our gathering, over the gathering of God's people around the globe. He has uh, authority over your life and mine, from our individual life to our corporate life. He is great and incomparable. It's a great place for an amen, right? Right there, that is Christ. And although Christ and all of his grandeur and all of his majesty, he is not some just distant deity, but he has drawn near to us. He's come down, and this is where Colossians then begins to take the turn after setting the table and giving us this grand view of the holiness of Christ. He brings it close to home and exploring the, the doctrine of uh, our reconciliation. We humans who were his enemies, hating God and hating the things of God, he rescued us and made us his friends. This is what Christ has done for us. And so the rest of Colossians then has been super practical, super applicational as we have sought to apply and then live in light of Christ's rule and reign, his superiority over all things and his sufficiency for us in our lives. At the layer of expectations, how we live our life, it is Christ's way that is sufficient for how we then live our life and walk with him in a manner that is pleasing to him. It is Christ's teaching that is sufficient for our beliefs and supreme over anything else. There is warnings about dangerous philosophies and traditions that take us captive. These ideas that exist outside the church, but also within the church here, Christ reigns supreme. His ways are sufficient for our ambitions. For the things that we pursue in our life, the people that we pursue, we were called to then set our minds on the things above and to seek Christ where He is. And as we do so, then we see that the way of Christ is sufficient for how we act. In the preceding verses where we left off in chapter 3 here, we were told to put off certain things. Sins that no longer define us, sins that no longer control us, and to put on then to put on the things that belong to God, the things that define then God's people. And so in Colossians, we've seen uh, Christ's superiority over all things and his sufficiency in all things and in a broad sense. But now there's a narrowing application over the next several verses of where these things really play out. If you think of it here, uh, first he gives us the broad principles. 
And then he gives it to these specific relationships listed in order of priority from the marriage relationship to then in our home between parents and children and then these work relationships. And it's verses like we're about to dig into in the next few weeks that make us squirm the most because it gets in our business. And they're so straightforward And when we're really vulnerable and we assess our own lives, we come to it, we all realize that we have some room to grow. That we need the Spirit's help. It's in our pride that we we think, oh, we've mastered these things. Or it's in our pride that we look for ways out to seek to discredit the source. Say, oh, he was just chauvinistic. He was misogynistic, Paul, who wrote this. We, seem to, we, we seek ways to dismiss these verses as old and outdated. That was a culture long ago. These things, we're more developed. We're, more, uh, we're, we're smarter now. Or we look for the loopholes in the verses for ways to get out of, of applying these things. We look for loopholes, so we say, well, that's good for that person or you, but it is not for me. And yet, as you'll see here in the verses, we'll see the wisdom of God and the beauty of His design just in uh, the sheer simplicity of the commands. The simplicity that that extends over and is relevant for every person and every culture and every era and and every time since they have been written. And such is the case this morning when it comes to marriage. In our verses here, we see the wisdom of God, the beauty of His design, and just the simplicity of the commands. And so hopefully you found Colossians 3. I just want to read the two verses that will be the focus of our attention today. And what they may lack in length, they do not lack in depth for us now. So let me read them here, for they say this, Wives, submit to your husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. This is God's word for God's people. And what these verses, like I said, lack in length, they make up for in depth. For here's what's at the uh, center of this text. What the Spirit wants us to understand today, what uh, the, the main point, the center of everything here, if you're taking notes, here's what we must learn. Jesus' design, instructions, and example are sufficient for my marriage. Let me say that again. Write this down for it's at the center of the text. It's the hub here upon which everything else revolves. Jesus' design, instructions, and example are sufficient for my marriage. See, in every text here, in every preaching, I'll just kind of give you some of the behind-the-scenes look at the skeleton here. It's a, there's, there's always a main emphasis or a argument that the Spirit is intending for uh, the original audience and then also we who read it today to understand about the text. And then uh, around it as additional proof of its truthfulness and additional applications of each text's usefulness. So around here is up front, we kind of give this uh, the, the center, we give the main argument or the nail or the hub of the wheel, and then the uh, remaining points are the spokes then that uh, revolve around it that, like I said, either prove the point or teach us how to apply the, the main thing. And so here's the, the main hub of this, and, and honestly, there's, uh, there's no extra points here because the points are in the verses. 
If you want to take, well, here, point one and point two, well, here it is. Wives, <laughs> submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. And point number two, husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. That's it. And write that down. We all go home because we've all got it figured out, right? No. We've got some work to do, but it's just straightforward today. So you can write those down here, and, uh, and that's really what the text says. But we're going to get into it uh, a little bit closer here. But before we proceed, let me just uh, address a few situations uh, uh, for you right now. Maybe you're single this morning listening to this, and you're thinking, oh, one of these messages. I can just tune this out again. Nah. No. These verses are as applicable to you as to the married person sitting next to you. There's no text of scripture that is, does not apply to us in any situation. The scripture is useful and necessary. We need every word of this has been inspired by God and is useful for instruction. And so you may not fit the specific category here, but it is just as much for you as the next person. Maybe you are preparing for marriage. You hope one day to be married. Then take note, now is the time to be developing in godliness and developing a biblical understanding of marriage so that you are ready to one day be married. It's not like, okay, we get to wedding, we get married, and then the next day you figure it out. Although there is a measure of that as well. (laughs) Uh, We are forever figuring out uh, how to be married. But these things are preparatory for you and for all of us. We should be learning and growing in how we honor the institution of marriage. Knowing that it's created by God. All the way back to the very beginning with Adam and Eve. As he established this institution, whether you're single or married, we honor this is the, off, or the institution of marriage and also one another's marriage. And so if you're single here, there is much for you to glean from today. But also let me just address this. Maybe you're single for a different reason. Maybe you're widowed or a widower today. And I know these verses like these, they sting. You need to know you're loved. We love you. Your church loves you. Christ loves you. He knows your hurt. He knows the shadow that their absence creates. The memories that you cherish, even the painful ones maybe. Whereas you read verses like this and you uh, recognize that uh, you weren't perfect in it. And yet God's grace is sufficient. Cherish the memories. Teach us who are in the trenches. We need to be reminded that it's worth it, that it's good to make the most of the days we need you in this. Maybe you're single for another reason. Maybe you're divorced in the process of it. Know this today. You too are loved. If you're in Christ, you're loved. We know the stigma stings and whatever the circumstances uh, that uh, led to that, the Lord knows. You may be walking out the consequences, even painful consequences of things like this, and yet know there is grace. There's hope. You are not leftovers, unused dishes. But Christ has a way forward. Again, it may be painful. May there, there may be a, the way of obedience may be hard, and yet grace is His grace is sufficient. See, Christ has all we need for these relationships. He has a way forward, a way forward that's very different than uh, the cultural expectations around us, the things that Disney or whatever other things would influence. See, once upon a time in Disney and and whatnot, the perception of marriage is that you get married, everything's awesome, and you live happily ever after, right? 
And then you get married and you, then reality sets in and, and uh, you know, there's clothes that get left out. They do their toothpaste wrong. There's beard hairs left all over the counter. Toilet paper is left upside down. Weights put on, wrinkles take over and quickly realize, like, this is a lot harder, right? Or in our day, you see a shift, a diminishing of marriage a downplaying of the importance and the priority and God's means and his design for marriage. And whatever cultural influence is here uh, that seeks to define the ins and outs of marriage and who can be married and what it looks like and why we get married, many of the influences are in conflict with God's word. And so we must have a, a firm grasp on what the Bible teaches about what marriage is and how we then live in a Christ-exalting way. And so let's come back to the text now and just look at these things. Let's look at Christ's design. Let's look at his instructions. Let's look at his example. But first is design. Let's just note a few obvious things from the verses at first. Notice this uh, for a minute. That it's addressed to wives and to husbands, males and females here in the uh, text. Now in Greek, uh, maybe you know this, maybe not, wives, the word for husbands and man is the same word. It's the context that determines the, the uh, interpretation here. But maybe it goes without saying, but I don't think in in our day it does. Marriage here is designed for one man, one woman in the context of marriage under God and before God's people covenanted together uh, under him. Notice also the possessive nature of these things. Wives, submit to your husbands and husbands love your wives. Women, it is not your role to submit to every man on the face of the planet nor husbands, men, to sacrifice and love every woman in the same way on the planet. It's part of God's designs, but also look what's missing here. Notice in between the two verses, there is not the word if. So there's not a conditional clause here. See, we are called to obedience regardless of what the other is doing, and even if the other is not, it's not. Wives, submit to your husbands if he is loving you. Nor husbands love your wives if she is submitting to you. No, we are each called in the marriage relationship to obedience regardless of the faithfulness or the level of obedience of the other person in the relationship. This is personal responsibility, personal uh, obedience to the Lord. And while they are personal, yet they are inseparably linked together. These two things go hand in hand with one another. Listen to this quote from Kent Hughes, a pastor and commentator here. He says, it is unthinkably absurd. I like that. Unthinkably absurd for a Christian husband to demand submission of his wife if he is not radically loving her. Likewise, it is errant logic for a wife who is not submissive to demand such love, end quote. And so while each has a role, each has a responsibility, these two verses go hand in hand. And I think that one of the best illustrations for marriage and God's design, or according to his design, is like dancing. Two equal partners moving together. Now, my wife and I like to dance. She was in first service. She's serving over in kids now, and I tried to get her to dance with me, and she was not uh, about it, and that's, that's all right. We actually have some really great dancers in our church. If you've ever been to a wedding and seen George and Amy Clark dance, like they can cut the rug. If you want to learn, seek them out and be discipled by them. Not just in dancing, but in a great marriage as well. I won't ask them to, uh, to, to showcase for us here. 
but they can. See, marriage is a lot like dancing. Two equal partners dancing around, not like the wedding, you know, circle where everybody's like bebopping around, you know. And uh, no, no, that's not the kind of dancing I'm talking about. Two people moving to the rhythms of God's music. Two people uh, uh, dancing together, one leading and the other responding to the cues of the other. See, if both are trying to lead, it's going to lead into like headbutting and stepping on each other's feet or going in opposite directions. And you can see the symbolism there. Or if nobody's leading and both just staying around, then you have like the junior uh, high awkward dancing of not really going anywhere and just, uh, you know, standing. But in God's design, two people moving together uh, in rhythm to God's music, one leading, one responding. And let's just be frank, it's awkward at first, is it not? Awkward to learn the cues, awkward to respond, awkward as you're growing together and it just takes time and practice and different types of music and the coaching from those who have gone before and have figured it out, but both are involved in both as you're growing are having fun, which is really what marriage is, right? Marriage is a ton of fun in God's design as we are living out a faithful obedience according to God's uh, commands here. This is His design. But let me also just stop and acknowledge maybe a question that some of you are asking because it hits close to home or you know somebody else, but you maybe you're asking, okay, I see it. It goes uh, inseparably together. These are things that were, but what if my spouse is not a Christian? Or what if my spouse is not living up to uh, uh, these uh, commands here? Well, again, just as a pastor, let me say I'm sorry. I know it hurts. Prophet Hosea knows the, it's hard. Jesus does too. Your church family knows the difficulty. It's hard to play a game when both players are playing by a different set of rules. But again, the way forward for you is the same. Simple obedience regardless, joyful obedience to the ways of God, knowing it's his design for you, that his ways are sufficient for your marriage, that his commands here, he knows it. There's no need to look elsewhere to get other uh, worldly wisdom, but we just trust in his design, his timing, knowing that his ways are sufficient. This is his design here in marriage. But what about the instructions? We said that Jesus' design and instructions and example are sufficient for our marriage. And so let's get into the squirm. And it begins with God's instructions for wives. And in each verse, there's kind of this who, what, and how. For wives, that's the who, what, submit to your husbands. We talked about the possessive, just to your husbands. And why or how, as is fitting in the Lord. Or as is appropriate in the Lord, as defined by a biblical truth here, not defined by culture, not defined by popular opinion or your own preferences or whatever the prevailing patterns and the prevailing advice is in counsel. See, when those things are in opposition to the Bible, which one has to give in our life? Anything else that is not the scripture. See, where rubber meets the road is where we say, no, God, your way is best. Your way is supreme. Your way is sufficient. And so when it is in opposition, when it is unfitting in the Lord or inappropriate in the Lord, that is not what we do. But we seek to follow God's ways. Wives, your submission to the Lord is defined by what God, how God defines it and what he says about it which is, I think, a helpful place for us to, to, to talk about for a minute because when we hear the word submission, many of us probably like, like our blood pressure kind of goes up, right? 
I don't like it. We start to squirm a little bit. And so what is biblical submission? Well, here's a definition on the screen. It's willing, joyful responsiveness. The, the biblical idea of a submission here is wives are to submit to their husbands. We submit to the Lord. We, as a body of believers, we submit to one another as church members. We submit to our leaders in the church, and it is a willingness. We, uh, nobody's forcing or coercing you. In We willingly and joyfully respond to the leadership of this other person, to our husband's. Wives, you submit to your husbands in this way, willing, joyful, responsive. What submission is not, and this is maybe what comes to mind, some other examples on the screen here, uh, submission is not just a doorman, right? Just there at the front where, you know, you just let your husband come in and wipe all the mud off and just, you know, treat you dishonorably. It's not what submission, that's not what the, God would never call his creation to do something like that. Submission is also not just an obedient slave. Yes, sir, I will do whatever you say. No, it's not obedient slave. It's not even just maybe to a lesser degree, just the, the silent servant. You're just serving the needs of your husband, coming home and, and uh, you know, uh, making food and washing dishes and washing clothes and taking care of kids and, you know, and, and, uh, and quiet about it all. I'm not saying wives can't make food and all that stuff, but it's not just the silent servant with no, uh, with no voice. And nothing. that's not what God calls wives to do. No. Biblical submission is a willing, joyful responsiveness to the leadership of her husband. And let's just, before we say it any further, let's look at the instructions then for husbands. Again, a who, what, and a how. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. A negative example here, or a neg- uh, something to avoid against love. So husbands here, love your wives, do not be harsh, or maybe in your Bible says, or embittered with them. And so let's talk about this. We want to define it. What is fitting in the Lord? What is, what is appropriate then? Well, we have to ask the question, what is love? You know what's on your mind right now. Baby, don't hurt me. No more. Real talk, who, did it pop into your mind? Can't say yes, right? <laughs> now it's forever stuck in there. An earworm like that. No, this idea of love, agape love that the Bible defines. What is it? It's a willing, joyful sacrifice. The biblical concept of husbands loving their wives and uh, how we love one another is a willing, joyful sacrifice. As we've said over and over and over as we've come to the Bible, uh, the synonym for love is sacrifice. The attitude behind our love is you before me. We're just trying to be super simple here. It's sacrifice. It's a laying down, a willingness to lay down our preferences of how we use our time, talent, and treasure for the benefit, for the joy of this other person. And so often, it's, it's not out of joy. We do it, and then we become embittered because we have expectations, right? We, we, we say, oh, I'll do this, I'll lay down this, but then, you know, because later I want some of that, right? Or I want you to do this, or, and it doesn't work that way. It's a willing, joyful responsiveness, even if there's nothing received back in turn. 
And see, we get this all wrong because if this is love, then but so often we mistakenly think of love as like affections, right? Those mushy, gushy feelings that we get when we feel about something. Not that there's not affection. Uh, you should uh, uh, desire, not just synonymous with the, uh, the, you know, the Greek word for erotica or sex or physical intimacy. This uh, biblical love is unconditional. A laying down of our life that has a different goal in mind. Not so that we get something. Not so that uh, so there's this like uh, uh, mutual stuff, but and even though it does happen, the goal of our love is to make our wife holy, of washing her with the word. See, uh, now, husband, should you desire to make your wives happy? Absolutely. Absolutely, but that is not the object or the goal of our marriage. That is not the, uh, the goal necessarily. The primary goal is our holiness, and a holy wife is a happy wife. You've heard the saying before, happy wife, happy life, right? And there's some truth to that. Maybe not in the way that you mean it or, or that it's intended, right? Like we just do everything to make our wife happy and, and, and all that. No, like uh, wives choose to be happy and your home will be happy. Be satisfied in the Lord, and you will be satisfied in life. And the Lord will do His work in your marriage as you are happy there as well. But husbands, your primary means, just like sandpaper, and this doesn't mean that we're rough or rude or harsh, but it's one another's holiness. And each person living in obedience to the Word of God, wives submitting to your husbands, husbands loving your wives, is producing increased sanctification or holiness in one another. But what is so opposite of this is the harsh, bitter behavior of husbands. Right? And it's a very interesting word, interesting concept here because uh, you know, uh, this idea of harsh or rough uh, here is, is really what flows out of the bitterness of our, our soul because it's easy to let resentment fester, right? To get, be the grumpy martyr in our marriage, right guys? Like, I do this, I go to work, I do all these things and, and we have these expectations that when they're unmet, they lead to disappointment that leads to then bitterness and it comes out, it builds for all kinds of reasons, but then it comes out in those harsh or rude looks, the harsh and rude or embittered things that we say and the harsh and mean things that we do towards our wife and men. There is not a time when we are more unlike Jesus than we are, when we are using our strength or our words to belittle or to harm or to be rude and harsh with our wives. Their wives should have no reason to fear us, to fear our words or to fear uh, being able to speak or to talk about things. See, because the opposite here, the opposite of harsh is gentleness or in some ways or some places in our Bible or some translations that's translated reasonableness that we are considerate and understanding. It's what Peter's getting at in 1 Peter 3. Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, seeking to know her, listening to her, being open to her ideas, knowing what moves her, what challenges her, what, what pleases her, knowing her preferences. These are the opposite this is what and 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 he just told us it actually it's why it's 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 so brief here in this in the specific relationships because in the preceding verses he told us what this looks like he gave us the opposite of harsh just go back to verse 12 for a moment i know we looked at it like a month ago here but look what he says in colossians 3 12 
This is the opposite of harshness. It's all of us then, but the husbands specifically, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Stop there because don't miss this. Husbands, your identity before you are a husband is a son of God, a chosen one, holy and beloved. That's something that will never change. Your marital status may change. Hopefully it doesn't, but at death it will for certainly change. You are God's chosen one. This, before he leads us to action, he reminds us of the identity where we are. We're not defined by our sin. We're not defined by our relationships, all right? God's chosen ones. He says, what do we then put on? Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. What's the antonym of those words? Harsh. Bitterness, right? This is what we put on. Husbands, put on compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience towards your wife. Bear with one another, right? Husbands, your, your wives aren't perfect. We all know that. You know that. They may offend you. Bear with her. She is a work in progress. Wives, bear with your husbands. If you have a complaint against one another, let me tell you, I got some complaints, right? Forgive each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. It's like around and around, all the repetition. Why the repetition? So we get it in our thick skulls, right? You have a myriad of opportunities every day, every week to forgive one another and to live like Christ out of the overflow. Above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. That's the, there's, there's the explanation. Husbands, love your wives. What does that look like? What does a willing, joyful, sacrificial love look like? Those verses right there. What is the opposite? I don't even have to give the explanation what harshness looks like. You know it already. But church, this is what we're called to do. Husbands, wives, to live with one another. And, and I want you to understand something here. Don't, you to, don't, don't miss what's, what's happening here. Underlying these verses is the truth of our equality. It gives wives the place of prominence in addressing them first, but both co-equal, co-heirs of the grace of God, both created in the image of God, coming together in equality, side by side, hand in hand, with the husband taking the first step in leadership towards Christ. Seeking to understand, seeking to live, but from a place of mutual value in the Lord with differing roles, differing responsibilities, all for the glory of God. In a way that makes no sense to the world and maybe doesn't even make sense to you. But as we learn and grow from one another, as we see what the other is going through and we seek to understand here. Note this for a moment. See, wives... Well, in God's design and according to his instructions here, you won't ever really know the weight of responsibility that your husband carries to protect you, to protect a broken person. And if you have kids, a broken persons once they're in the mix. The weight of that responsibility is something that God has placed on the husband to, uh, to, to lead the way in. The same way husbands, you won't ever know the weight of trust that it takes to follow a broken person. It's, it's, it's different, it's unique, and yet it's part of God's beautiful design. 
It's part of his instructions as we uh, grow together. It keeps us humble. It keeps us uh, teachable. It keeps us vulnerable. It keeps us communicative with him and one another as we seek to submit to our husbands, wives, and husbands as we seek to love our wives. And in both of these things, what does it do? It teaches us to trust the Lord. In our marriages here, we're trusting the Lord. Notice what isn't a part of the commands. Does it say, husbands, trust your wives? Wives, trust your husbands? And you'll actually be hard-pressed in in the Scripture to find a, a command to trust another human being. Some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, some trust in princes, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Now, that doesn't mean we just walk around, we're suspicious of everybody, we just, you know, we, we're, we're skeptical of everything. Not, that's not what he's getting at, because our trust is in the Lord. And so this is at play where the rubber meets the road in our marriages, where we can live out in a simple, faithful, joyful, willing obedience to what God has called us to. Why? Because we trust that the Lord is at work in our spouse. He will do it. He'll do it in your wife. He'll do it in your husband. He, he, will, he, he will lead the way and we can trust that the God is working. Even if they don't know the Lord, we can still trust that God, you are doing your work. And so I'm going to follow you because you said this is right. This is part of your design. This is how I know I am walking faithfully with you. And you may have years of hurt and heartache, decades even of hurt and heartache. This is where we love those biblical words, but God. But God, don't give up hope. It's never too late to make some changes in your own life, to humble yourself. This is, this is really the hope of the gospel that we have. God in his holiness, uh, drawing near to us the hope of the gospel that we see in marriage of Christ, laying down his life for the church and the church submitting to Christ. The biblical concept of marriage, it is putting on display these gospel truths. And because we've experienced it, because we believe in it, then we know that change is possible. Transformation is possible. Renewal in our marriage is possible. And so let me ask this question. Do you want a healthy, growing, vibrant marriage? Whether you're in marriage right now or you're preparing for marriage, whether or not, do you want that? I mean, yes, who wants the opposite, right? You know? I want a dead, stagnant, you know, embittered marriage. Like, you answer yes, then ask these questions. Assess your life. Come before the Lord and ask this. And ask the Lord, uh, God, am I a wife that is a joy to love? Am I a wife who is a joy to love? And husbands, take a look in the mirror. Ask the Spirit to do this work in your life and ask the question. Ask your wife this question. Ask your uh, brothers in your small group this question. Am I a husband that it is a joy to follow? Whatever the answer to that, then just start asking, okay, well, what habits do I need to change? Start saying or doing what things do I need to cut out of my schedule? What do I need to start prioritizing to make some growth in godliness so these things are so? And let's do some self-assessment, right? Because it's so easy uh, uh, to, to assess our spouse, right? Right? That's the easy part. I'm like, well, let me tell you how, uh, you know, Aaron can grow. It's my wife. No, no. It's a short list, by the way. But it's easy for you to see. But here's the thing. The Lord also sees it. 
He knows where they need to grow. He knows where you need to grow. And so before you bring these things up with your spouse, bring it up 50 times with the Lord in prayer. Bring it up 50 times with the Lord in prayer before you bring it up to that person. And even then, seek a lot of counsel before you do so. You just continue to love. You continue to submit, doing the things that the Lord has called you to. And you can bring these things up as you need. And I know, I know. Some of you right now are probably saying, well, yeah, but. Yeah, but, yeah, but. Yeah, I, I get it. You can submit it to the podcast or submit the questions and maybe we'll address them later this week at either date night or, uh, or, or uh, singles night, whichever you will be coming to later. But let me just address one thing also here. Some of you might be asked, well, when, when am I exempt? When do I not have to submit? When do I not have to sacrifice for my spouse? One, I just asked, well, why, why, why are you asking that? We always want the way out, right? Well, okay, I'll do it, but, you know, when, when do I not have to do it, you know? When do I not have to drive the speed limit? Well, if your spouse is leading you into sin or foolishness, if your spouse is leading you away from biblical community, away from biblical truth, where you, uh, your sacrifice for her would lead you away from those things or your submission to him would lead you away from those things, then you may have an exemption. Seek lots of counsel. Seek the Lord in this together because uh, that's ultimately what marriage is about. That's what these instructions are about is this dance together that we are actually leading one another towards Christ. It's not just a dance around the dance floor for fun's sake, although it is super fun. Like I've said, his instructions, what he is leading us towards here is our holiness. This is why it's sufficient for our marriage. His instructions are sufficient and supreme because it is leading us to greater Christ-likeness. It is leading us to grow in, in, in our love for the Lord and our love for one another and our love for the lost. And so marriage is one of God's primary means for our holiness. That's why we live this out. And he not only showed us, or he not only uh, uh, showed us his design, he not only gave us these examples or these instructions, but he then also gave us, as I said, his example. His example is sufficient. He's in, see, here's the thing. Christ isn't calling us to do something that he himself has not already done to an incomparable degree. So look, just think with me for a bit on Christ for a moment. Jesus himself submitted to the Father. Christ, the Son of God, being co-equal with the Father and co-equal with the Son, not one less than one another, but equal in their majesty, equal in their deity. And yet Christ submitted to the Father, not in a diminishing way, not in a way that made him any less God. But look what he says in John 6, 38. He says this, Jesus himself, he says, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Now, Jesus wasn't the reluctant, you know, uh, unhappy servant here. He did so willingly and joyfully and purposefully. For the verses go on, they're not on the screen, but just list this. He says, for this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. See, Christ knew that his submission was purposeful. He would come that we might have eternal life. 
He came that we might uh, uh, be raised up on the last day, that in his death we would live. Christ submitted to the direction of the Father. It goes, Paul elaborates on this in Philippians 2, verses that are likely familiar to you. And encouraging us, he says, have this mind among yourselves. All right? Attitude, your same line of thinking. Have this in you, which is yours in Christ Jesus. I love that. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. So note that there. Christ, co-equal, no less than the Father. And yet that equality, his independence was not something that he like had to grasp in his own like free will. No, I have to be me and be true to myself. And it's this expressive individualism. No, he did not see it as a thing to be grasped. But what does it say? He emptied himself, poured himself out. By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Co-equal, and yet he submitted. It does not make him less than, but again, shows the beautiful, incomparable design of marriage that then reflects the Trinity. See, wives, Jesus isn't calling you to a depth of submission that he himself has not condescended to, to a greater, incomparable degree. Fully God, heaven's throne, put on human flesh life. Like the distance there is unlike anything, even into the greatest laying down, submission, following your husband, doesn't even compare. But he himself went and showed us how. Likewise, Jesus sacrificed for his beloved. Philippians 2 goes on. Referring to Easter, wives, if you get to be the display of Christmas... Christ being born, Christ coming down and being incarnate, leaving heaven, his glory being packaged in human form here. Husbands, we get to display Easter. Being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Christ sacrificed for his beloved, and he did so purposefully, willingly, joyfully, purposefully. Why? So that he would be exalted. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. See, the way for our significance and recognition, men, is through our sacrifice, through our point of, even if it means our own death, the death to ourself. See, your wedding was also a funeral where you died to self, you died to your preferences, you died to your own opinions and thinking only for yourself. But look at this, Romans 5, 8. God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The incomparable demonstration of his love, not while we were submissive to him, not while we loved him, we're cheering him and worshiping him already. He died for us when? When we hated him. When we were his enemies. When we hated him and his ways, he loved us to the point of death. And husbands, there's no sacrifice that Christ will call you to in your marriage that he has not already gone to. He didn't just tell us how, but he showed us how. 
with it to the most incomparable degree. Now I'll admit to you, like we see all these things and it looks like lots of work, doesn't it? It's difficult. In marriage, is the cost great? Absolutely. Absolutely. We're going to continue the conversation. That's why we're having date night later this week for singles and, and uh, uh, or, or, or singles night for singles and dating and date night for our engaged and married. Get signed up for that, like I said, so we know that you're coming. But we're going to continue the conversation about this to help one another and to point us back to Christ. But you know what? Even in the difficulty, this is in God's design, part of his instructions, part of his example, even in the difficulty, marriage God's way is the best way. You believe that? Yes. Marriage God's way is the best way. It's the most fun way. Surely there's an amen in here. Surely somebody loves their marriage, right? Amen. That's right. It's a perfect opportunity, husbands, to like, yeah, my marriage is Amen. Right? Just like dancing. It's hard work, maybe awkward at first. It's, you have to learn the steps. You have to feel the rhythm. You might even run into some other people along the way. But once you grow in it, man, is it fun. All to the glory of God, His design, His ways. So supreme, so sufficient, just as He intended for us. But we need His help. So let's pray, and then we'll sing and, uh, and, and go together. Join me in prayer now. God in heaven, we love you. We need your help in all this. We recognize our own neediness. So we just stop to pray. Many of us have our spouse next to us. We need to just grab their hand. Pray just for your help for a moment. Maybe your spouse is not here. Take this moment just to pray for them. We just come before you, God, asking, confessing we need your help, but also just to tell you thank you right now. Thank you, God, that you loved us enough to put this person in our life. Maybe it's been a while since we told the Lord, thank you for this gift. Just do it now. If you're unmarried, pray and ask God to prepare you to do his work in your life now for that day it's not even on the radar thank the Lord for his love for you for the marriages that you see around you that uh, point you to Christ and exemplify the gospel much to give thanks for and even as we ask these things and thank you for these things God we uh, uh, recognize that uh, even beyond it, you are enough. You are sufficient for us, Jesus. And so even if we weren't married, if we had none of this, if we were forever single, having you, Christ, be known of you, chosen of you, holy and beloved, is enough for us. You, Christ, are our treasure. We worship you as our King, as our Lord, as our Savior. It's the bridegroom for whom we look forward to. I pray these things now in Christ's name. God's people said, Amen.